Welcome to the Radio Book Club, which is a collaboration between KGNU and the Boulder Bookstore. I'm Maeve Conran of KGNU. As always, my co-host, Arsen Kashkashian of the Boulder Bookstore. We are live here with Arsen and our guest today at the bookstore. Arsen, another Colorado author we have been reading. This one is a great pick for a summer read. It's a page turner, a thriller. Who have we been reading for the month of June? We've been reading Carter Wilson. Um, the book is The Dead Husband. I am a husband, so that kind of scared me right away. I didn't really have to get too far into the book to be frightened. But um, it's a great mystery. Like you said, it's a good page turner, perfect for kind of summer reading. And so we're happy to have Carter on the show. It's great to have you with us. Welcome, Carter. Oh, I'm so happy to be here, and I'm happy to be in a bookstore live and uh, the smell of books again. Exactly. In a room with people you're not ah, related to. That's a nice great. novelty. You've come all the way from Erie, Colorado, <laughs> which I think is a wonderful town to live in if you are a mystery suspense thriller writer. Was that chosen for uh, the name? No, that was uh, serendipitous. But I will say uh, the house I live in is a custom-built Victorian house that I kind of modeled after uh, Disney's Haunted Mansion. So it's got spires and gargoyles, and it's got that whole vibe going. No ghosts? Not, not yet. Not yet. Okay. Well, there are ghosts aplenty. Well, ghosts certainly in people's minds in this book. As uh, Arson said, the title of the book is The Dead Husband, but really this is beyond that. There is a lot going on in this book, and really at the heart of it is a very dysfunctional family. Very. <laughs> Two sisters with a very dysfunctional relationship. So take us through the, the nexus of, of the book and certainly the, the nexus of the idea that you had for the dead husband. Yeah, for sure. I, I, well, I don't outline um, and usually my books all start with just an opening scene that I have no idea what it's about or who the characters are. It's just a scene that captures my imagination. And then typically I spend the rest of the book trying to figure out what that scene was all about. Um, and in this case, I had an idea about this woman returning home and she's standing in front of her childhood home and she's got reservations and she's scared, but she's returned home. And I didn't know who this person was or why she was returning home. Um, and as I started to uncover what it was all about, I realized that you know, she does, she is from a very dysfunctional family and the sister, her sister was a big part of that and her father. Um, and so to me, it was unraveling well, what happened there and why did she leave to begin with? Um, and so the dead husband, the husband himself is actually pretty, um, uh, it's a very minor character in the whole uh, book. Um, it's more about Rose herself. Yeah, so there is a husband and he's dead. <laughs> I just want to minimize that, but really that's the, the thing that propelled her rose to move back to her family when her husband died that itself is a bit of a mystery that's also revealed later in the book right that's correct yeah yeah so she's she's returning home and and she's got her own demons and she's got a son and there's a lot of different and that's what i like to do with my characters i like to, i like to spend the first hundred pages or so just throwing as much as i can at them and not really knowing where it's going, but just what are you going to do now? Um, that's part of the thrill of writing to me. It's just like just drawing things out and, and seeing what happens. Well, you told the story from a couple different angles. So I would say, I'm guessing three quarters of the story, 80% is first person from Rose's point of view. As right. she comes back, as she's trying to uncover her past. But then there's another 15, 20% that's, that's from the detective from Wisconsin who's pursued her. That's where the murder, that's where the, I shouldn't say the murder, but that's where the dead husband is. Right. <laughs> so tell us, take us through that where you've decided to get into Rose's mind as first person. So, and, and uh, she's a female character. So 
you know, if that was difficult, if that was something you had to work on, and then your decision then to tell the other story from the detective's point of view, who's sort of pursuing her. It, it, I mean, he's curious, he's suspicious. Pursuit might be a little too strong of a word, at least at first. Right. Well, I love writing first-person um, points of view. Uh, I love first-person present tense, uh, especially. And I love writing from a female perspective. And I've done it several times. And, you know, it, it can be a challenge, but I try not to overthink it. And, you know, my girlfriend is the first one who edits my manuscript. My, my agent, my editors are all are women, so that I get great feedback on that. Um, and so many books I just kind of keep in that point of view. But I knew that there was going to be kind of a pursuit, as you kind of uh, said, Arson, from, from a detective's point of view. And I didn't want to minimize that. I wanted this detective to really have his own characterization and his own arc. Um, so it was important to me that he also got to have a point of view. And I did that third person that you, you kind of are a little bit more distant when you do that, and, and there's a clear separation, um, but it was really important that it wasn't just a, a cookie-cutter detective kind of mystery. I really wanted to make sure that he had his own voice as well. So um, I enjoyed writing between the two, um, and it was difficult. I've never written anything from a detective's point of view, so fortunately I have a buddy in California who's a, who's a detective, and I would send him pages, and he would tell me how wrong I was, and <laughs> I made I would make changes. So I'm I'm sure I've messed a lot of things up still, but uh, it was it was it was intimidating to do that. Is that such is that a, a big concern for writers when you have cops involved and there's procedures that you have to get that right? As you said, I know you have a childhood friend from California who was a who was a cop, but I know some other writers they do ride alongs, they have consultants just to make sure they get all those details right. I mean, how important is that? I think it depends on who you ask. Um, I don't do, I'm not known for my depths of research because I do write that first person point of view from somebody who's usually not an expert in anything necessarily. So if somebody is pointing a gun at them, they see a gun, they don't see a particular type of gun. Um, my, <laughs> and you do want to get things right. There's no question. I think that the people who do write alongs, the writers who like to do that kind of a thing, I think they love that. They love research and they want to know um, but could you not do that and still write a believable story? I think so. Um, so I think people, some people just love the research and I'm not one of them. <laughs> so your, your main character, Rose, the, the woman at the heart of the story, she is a mystery writer right. and she does do tons of research. Right. So <laughs> putting her character and she does, she does uh, uh, you know, cold cases kind of as her, her thing, like very procedural types of things. So. You were writing a character who does a different kind of mystery than you. Was that a little bit of playing around, poking fun at yourself, or just seeing what it would be like to do? You know, like a yeah, a little bit. I mean, I I know writers who are like Rose, eh, who just love that, and they and they really want to get into the depth of the procedure, and, and that's very important to them. Um, and so I had you know a, an amalgam of different friends of mine who are writers in mind when I was writing that, and it would, yeah, and it was kind of fun to explore, like well this is what it would be like uh, it, it, were I writing these kinds of books. Um, and I realize that gets a lot more work. <laughs> well, what's interesting about Rose being a writer is that that piques the interest of this detective because she has written things in her books that he thinks, oh, maybe she's had this lived experience. And then there's a reference to another writer 
to take us through that. I think she was Swedish or Norwegian. Well, it was actually a real person, and then we decided to not use that person's name. Well, um, based on Ann Perry. Yeah, yeah, it was. But yeah, there was, you know, and, and so in the case in my book, you know, the detective realizes, you know, he, he kind of gets to this whole axiom of like, oh, write what you know, which is not true at all, but a lot of people believe that writers only write what they know. Um, and God forbid I'd be a serial killer if that were the case. Um, but in, in his case, he realized, oh, there have been writers who have actually committed murder and uh, have gone on to become writers and, and live fruitful lives. But it's, it's not um, impossible to believe that, you know, Rose, who writes pretty dark, gritty mysteries involving murder, uh, you know, it's plausible to think that maybe she's writing what she knows. And so that was enough to pique his interest. And that's just the, the top of it, right? So once he starts kind of digging in a little bit more, he starts to realize, oh, maybe, maybe she is guilty, but there's other things going on here with her family. And so it, he really starts investigating them a lot more closely. So the family has this house that she goes back to, and I'm hoping you could uh, read just so people can get a feeling for when Rose first returns to this house and they can get a feeling for you know what your language is like but also kind of the creepiness of the house <laughs> there's a haunted house aspect of yes. this book yeah so is um I'd like to you to read a passage if you could sure absolutely yeah she's I mean and just for some context Rose grew up in a, in in Bury New Hampshire which is a very affluent community kind of outside of Boston she grew up in a, a very large house um, it, with this dysfunctional family, her father and her sister, um, and now she's returning home. Uh, and so this is when she's standing outside and, and just walking in the home for the first time in many years. There's a faint current of electricity rippling through me as I enter, bringing goosebumps to my arms, like walking through a collection of ghosts who desperately try to drive me away. I look down at my son. If he senses a change in the atmosphere, I don't see it on his face. Why should he? This house doesn't hold the memories for him that it does for me. Max has no idea what happened here long before he was born. And now we're here to live, for a while, anyway. My father lured, lured me back to Bury after Riley's death a month ago. And against all my urges, I had to concede I couldn't do things on my own. Riley and I always lived independently of my father's wealth, but really, it was hardly living. My husband's entrepreneurial ventures were always doomed to fail, and we saved up just enough cash to hold us over until he tried something new. As for me, my income from writing novels is just past the hobby threshold as defined by the IRS. I was hoping my third book would be my breakout, but it just hasn't happened. Yet my father's money wasn't the only motivation for coming home. I couldn't stay in Milwaukee, not in that apartment where the coroner whisked away Riley's body, which was cool to the touch when I placed a hand on his bare shoulder. I didn't even want to remain in the city. Too many eyes watching, too many shadows, long and reaching. So I left the ghosts there to come face the ones here. See, the thing is, I need to be here. I need to face the things I ran away from a long time ago. I have this idea of finding peace, but could be such a thing doesn't exist. The goosebumps fade and I breathe in the familiar smells of the house. The ghosts allow me to pass, for now. That's author Carter Wilson reading from his latest novel, The Dead Husband. It's in the opening uh, segment of the book. It's where the main protagonist, Rose, is returning to her family home after many, many years. And as we hear, there are ghosts there. 
ghosts that she is trying to exercise in many ways and that uh, we find out a lot more about later in the book. Well, Carter is our guest today at the Radio Book Club, a collaboration between KGNU and the Boulder Bookstore. The house itself is a huge character in the book because of this thing that happened, but really because I think of the control the father has had. And, and you talked about your own house. You live in a Victorian house that's got gargoyles and stuff. I mean, how important is like a location, having a central location when you're writing a mystery or a thriller and certainly a murder? Yeah, very important. And this is the first time I actually created uh, a fictional town of my own, and I had <laughs> a lot of fun doing it. And you're right, the house is a major character, and that was important to me. And it was important that... that this does kind of feel a little bit like a haunted house story um, because that you know, broadly appealed to me. Um, and in fact, this same house uh, is a central figure in my next book um, coming out next year. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's important that I understand how everything looks, where everything is, whether or not I display that in my writing or not. I have to visually understand this house um, because there there's... There's a menace about this house that I wanted to convey. And sometimes you don't even have to use a lot of words to convey it, but I have to understand it completely in order to be able to do that. Well, the town itself as well has a bit of a menace to it. I mean, it's Barry, but it's written B-U-R-Y, like Barry, your dad. Right. And I think you say at the beginning, some people, there were some old timers who say it should rhyme with fury. So what would it be, Bury? Yeah, right, right. But, but that has got this veneer of, you know, perfection. It's very affluent, very white, but... And no crimes, really, certainly none that are sort of reported. But you know, just below the surface, that be- behind all the doors, not just this family's door, you, you can imagine there's all kinds of stuff going oh, on. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's there's nothing more fun than, you know, insidious towns like that where you just know, you know, or neighborhoods where you just know, like, things can't be this perfect. And the more, the veneer is a great word because, you know, the more it shines the more <laughs> grunge you know is just underneath that surface and so that's that's great fun to be able to explore that so when i read the book there seems to be parts of it where as a writer you're probably having great fun you know coming up with this house coming up with some of the situations but then there's other parts where you know there's a there's a scene you know two-thirds of the way in the book maybe where kind of a parallel scene where both the detective pursuing um rose colin and Rose are both on the same evening in different places, though, almost basically suicidal, thinking of just maybe it would be easier if I just end it. So as a writer, so some of the times maybe you're having fun coming up with this stuff, but do you have to go to a pretty dark place to, to bring that to your characters? Or tell me about those scenes, because those seems like they would be pretty hard to write psychically, perhaps. Yeah, they're actually some of my favorite scenes to write because you do get this kind of... Uh, you know, get to go to these emotional depths knowing that you're safe, but you get to kind of explore this, like, well, what would it be like were I in this person's shoes and going through these pretty horrible circumstances? And what would it be like to be eyeing a bottle of pills and wondering how easy it would be to ingest them? Um, Yeah, so yeah, it's, and it's interesting because how I write is I, I don't, I write every day, but I usually just write about an hour a day, and I don't necessarily know what I'm writing next. So if there's a scene like that, usually it just kind of happens upon me, and I just realize, like, oh, this is what happens now. And then I have to go into that place, but then come out of it an hour later, which I'm usually able to do pretty easily, 
Um, and sometimes I surprise myself by like, wow, that, that was pretty messed up what I just wrote, and maybe I keep it, maybe I don't. Um, but something in there was important to come out. Um, so yeah, sometimes I'm surprised when I, <laughs> some of those scenes, like there's some things that happen in this book that I didn't know were gonna happen until that page. And I'm like, wow, now this happens, and what would that do? And, and that can be kind of intense. Do you find your, your own personal mood could affect, so if you're sitting down for an hour and you're not sure what you're gonna write and you're going through something difficult in your own personal life or, or, or maybe you're going through something great in your personal life, could that influence the tone of the book at all? Like where you, you're, you're kind of in a dark place so then all of a sudden the book's getting darker. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. And I think, um, you know, and your editor will usually pick up on that, like, well, there's a lot of introspection from this one character here who's slowly going insane. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yeah, I was kind of going through something. Um, I think what's more difficult is you have to, regardless of your mood, you have to realize, okay, this chapter, I don't want to write for whatever reason. It feels like work, but it's necessary. Um, as opposed to, I just want to write the stuff that makes me happy and the stuff that's fun. There's a lot of like, you know, connecting the dots that needs to be done, and it's not always, you know, it's, it's work, and and it's and a lot of times it's not fun. A lot of times you feel like it's data entry, but I'm like, this is a pivotal, you know, transition scene that needs to happen um, to get to the scene that I really want to write. Um, so that's that's like any job, right? And some days you just don't want to do it, but you <laughs> you're getting paid to do it, so you do it. Well, Colin, the detective, as Arson mentioned, there's a, a scene where both he and Rose and completely separate, you know, issues are going through a very dark night. He has his own, you know, backstory and, and the darkness that he's going through is not related to his work. It's his own personal life. And I don't want to give anything away because I was actually quite shocked at that moment when things went very downhill for, for poor Colin. But a big part of his life is dealing with his mom who has uh, dementia, but she's a hoarder. And all of this is actually very integral to, to the storyline. But why that? Why the hoarding part? Because I have to say, I'm one of those people, I'm fascinated by those shows that, you know, you go into yeah. people's homes and they're hoarding. I mean, I think the psychology of hoarding is fascinating, very tragic, but why was that something you wanted to include? You know, that's a great question. I, and, and, and everything kind of ties in towards, as, and I didn't know any of that. I just, when I first wrote that scene, I decided that, you know, the reason that they moved back was so he could take care of his mother. And I didn't know anything more than that. And then I just decided like, oh, she's, my father went through Alzheimer's. Um, so I, I had, you know, knowledge of what that's like. Um, but I think like you, I'm kind of fascinated by me because I'm a clean freak. So I'm fascinated by the idea of like, you're not, you just don't give things up. Uh, you can't part with things. Um, and I've known people who those are the houses and you will go through and it's, to me, it's suffocating. And I just thought that was such a challenge to throw at Colin. Like not only does he have to care for his mother, he has to deal with this, another house that's kind of its own character in terms of of, of its chaos um, it, I just found that interesting but then it turned out it was all meaningful later on that the fact that she was a hoarder so it, it was that was kind of a nice thing to un unearth from my subconscious after a while yeah I mean I, th I do think it worked really well because I mean, to my mind, when I, you know, read about hoarding or, or see it or, or even just people who have a hard time giving things away, it's because of the emotion and the ghosts and the history that's attached to these objects. And very like the, the house, I suppose, that Rose has fled her family home that she ultimately goes back to, that objects 
houses have memories and ghosts that we have a hard time dealing with. Well, that's right. And I think ultimately the thread through the book is that everybody has had loss, right? Whether it's a spouse, whether it's their house, whether, you know, and, and so the idea of, you know, what's left to cling to, I think is a little bit of a thread in that. And, and sometimes, you know, as Rose finds out, you know, clinging to her family might be <laughs> the worst decision she could ever make, but it's, that's maybe all she has. Well, I wanted to ask you about family. So do when you bring it up like that, because it's interesting, she is going back to the family and you're like, the whole time you're like, why is she going back to these people, you know? But she, there's a quote that says, I came here because of an illogical desire to be with family, to be a Yates, grotesque, cancerous, warts and all. Talk about that idea of family and what does that mean for Rose for better or worse? Because she, she has a truly terrible family. She does. Uh, and, and I like the idea that, you know, she left the family and she's basically, you know, a borderline impoverished. Um, and, and they're, you know, she and her husband and her, their son are, are, are living kind of paycheck to paycheck. And the husband dies and, you know, she can turn to her family who's got a lot of money, but she's got to return home in order to do that. So I, I like the idea of like, well, it's a, maybe a logical thing to do even though she doesn't want to but that can't be the only reason and and so there's got to be you know something deep in her soul that is like I'm not done with this family um, whether I love them or hate them I, I'm not closed out and so coming back to Bury was a closure for her whether you know she wanted to face it or not it was kind of an exercising her demons situation um, you know and I just like that idea of like you have to process and go through something to close it out and she hadn't done that for 20 years and it's like I, this needs to you know as her husband was laid to rest she needs to put her past you know to rest one way or another well speaking of closure the ending of the book leaves the possibility for a possible sequel i mean it's quite open-ended and you do say that you're a fan of some of these sort of more open-ended endings like the sopranos that yeah. that how that series ended for for fans that was very divisive yeah. you know because it wasn't a, a line underneath everything yeah. you know so so talk us through that yeah i love <laughs> i love endings that are very uh vague uh much uh, to my readers hatred of that because uh, i you know i see a lot of reviews like i hated the ending i want to know exactly what happened i'm like well sorry that's that's not interesting to me um, and that's also not life usually yeah you yeah. know life is usually continues on in some way there's rarely you that, know a, that's exactly that's right point at the and end. it's like how i write it since i don't outline that's to me that's kind of like life it's like i don't know what happens next let's find out um but i yeah i love the idea that you know in later books we could find out um what happened and again just kind of going back to this next book that's coming out that's the same house the same town totally different set of characters um happening about six months after the end of this book and and um the person who moves in the book is called the new neighbor wants to try to figure out well what happened to this family that used to live here um so that does become part of uh the plot for the next book um but yeah i'm always a fan of things that aren't tied up nicely because i like the readers to have their own imagination like you get to choose what you think happened and i don't know if i necessarily know what happens but i have some ideas 
Well, I thought it was interesting because plot-wise, things are like, well, well, what happened? What's going to happen to Rose and Colin? What's going on here? But emotion-wise, it's kind of tied up. Like Rose, I don't want to give anything away, but she kind of does or gets what she needs emotionally. And so to me, it almost felt like what physically happens, what, what the next step is, is, is not as important as the emotion of it tying up. Which is interesting because I feel like you, you get that more in what might you, might, you might call literary fiction, where mysteries more tend to tie things up in a physical plot way. Yeah. But, but this was something, uh, reading a lot of literary fiction, I felt very satisfying to me. Well, that's, I'm, I'm heartened to hear that. And it's actually really interesting that you say that because the original ending was an expansion on the current ending and there was more detail about you know you had more of an idea of what happened and then my editor going through my editorial notes she said where it ends now she's like this feels like the emotional ending to me i'm like huh that's really interesting and it was a big discussion and and i ended up agreeing with her and i'm like you're you're right it, it doesn't need to be you know all this more detail so that's interesting that you you keyed in on that word I'm very interested in your process because I've spoken to other writers and, and, and read their writing process and it totally varies, but some folks start with the last scene or the last chapter and that's the point they write to. I mean, it sounds like yours is incredibly organic. You're going to sit down and who knows what's going to come out. Right. And, you know, <laughs> it's all great, which is good. But I know you're interested in this because you also interview writers. I mean, you have this on your on your website where you talk to other writers about their process. So, I mean, how, how important is that for you to engage with other writers and hear what they're doing? Or is it just something you're interested in or is that part of your own writing? Yeah, it's just, it's, you know, it doesn't necessarily inform what I do. I'm, I'm at the point now where it's like, I know my process and, and for better or for worse, this is how I write. But I'm fascinated by people in general. Um, and I think everyone's got something interesting to say. And I'm, I am I kind of had a weird origin story myself as a writer. And so I'm always interested to find out like, well, why, why do you do this? Like what, it's not, <laughs> it's not a great industry um, in terms of, you know, financial freedom, but, you know, and I just love to see why are people compelled to be storytellers? And everyone has a different story of how they got there. And it could be, I, w I was at the library, you know, by the time I was eight, I never left the library. Um, or it could be someone like myself who's like in my 30s, I just started writing and I came out of nowhere. Um, and it's just fascinating for, for me to hear that all. But yeah, I, the way that I write is pretty, pretty, pretty fixed. I've tried outlining it. It just doesn't work for me. <laughs> is there pressure on you from the industry, whether it's your agent or editors or publishers, to sort of do continuations of series, like to have Colin Pearson be an ongoing character? Because I know these are standalone books and you can just read it. I'm very excited to hear that there'll be some type of continuation, albeit it's, a, it's its own standalone book, your next book coming out. But I mean, is that a, is that a thing for mystery writers or thriller writers? Sure, yeah. And, you know, series tend to do quite well. You know, if you have a popular series, it's, it's it, you know, you can kind of rely on that. Um, I think in that case, you it's you, the writer, going to the editor saying, here's my idea for a three-book series. Um, and, and they have to buy into that. Uh, in the case of, you know, my books... I've I've had some books that have you know vague endings and I'm like you know I could write a sequel to this and a lot of times the editors will say like well let's see how this one sells first because if it doesn't sell well 
you know, now we're committed to another book. So it's, it's, it's kind of a double-edged sword. Um, but I've always enjoyed writing standalones because I just want to be able to, you know, kill anybody at any time for any reason and not have to worry about this character recurring. Um, it, it's just fascinating to me to be able to do that. So, you know, storytelling is, is the storyteller always, well, you're talking about how you write organically, but the storyteller has information the reader doesn't. And in this book, mysteries in general, but in this book in particular too, how you reveal the secrets is a critical part of the pacing and the enjoyment of the book. To take us through that a little bit, like, do you ever think like, oh, maybe I'm revealing this too early, I need to move this later, or you get further on in the book and you're like, oh, I should have said this earlier, I have to go back and reveal, I mean, talk, is that an organic process or, or is that some shifting around to make sure you're pacing the book in a good way? Yeah, it's all of those things because, uh, because I don't necessarily know the, the mystery itself until towards the end, then that ne necessitates me going back and kind of layering some things in. Um, but that's where your your early readers are helpful. So in this case, my agent will give me notes and she'll say on page 242, I started thinking it might be this. Um, and we have to decide, is that too early? Is that too late? Um, and that's always interesting to me because you get so close to the book and, and you almost get confused by it because you're so deep into it that you don't know what it's like to be a reader kind of seeing this for the first time. And so it's interesting when I see reviews that say like, oh, I totally guessed you know, who it was or the ending. And I'm like, oh, really? Because I didn't know until like <laughs> I was 90% into it, so good for you. Um, but maybe, again, that's your subconscious working the whole time. Um, so, but yeah, there is kind of that layering that you have to do um, and getting advice and opinions from different readers that you trust uh, to say like whether it's too much or too little. But we're going to talk a lot more with Carter Wilson in the podcast only edition of the Radio Book Club after hours at the Radio Book Club. Do uh, stay tuned for that. We'll subscribe to that after hours at the Radio Book Club. But Carter Wilson's latest novel is The Dead Husband. He's been our guest today. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me here. It's fantastic. Well, who are we reading for the month of July, Arson? Well, we're bringing back somebody, Stephen Wingate. And his novel is The Leave Takers. We read his previous novel which was of fathers and fire um a couple years ago and that was really enjoyable this one's about a married an almost married couple that falls apart and then they find themselves years later in a south dakota house that has some craziness going on so Stephen always writes a good story and puts people in pressured situations. I think it'll be a lot of fun. Well, we look forward to having him return to the book club. And don't forget, you can catch it on the fourth Thursday of every month on KGNU. But subscribe to the podcast, never miss an episode and get all the bonus content on After Hours at the Radio Book Club. For KGNU, I'm Maeve Conran. As always, my co-host, Arsene Kashkashian of The Boulder Bookstore. Thanks, Arsene. Thank you, Maeve.